This week's guest is Deanna Minnick. Deanna is a nutritionist and developed the Food and Spirit website as a way to cultivate eating as a path to personal growth. Deanna's approach is to bring together the entire spectrum of human potential in everyday eating to benefit all aspects of the person. She helps to bridge the gap between eating and living through a creative synthesis of elements such as information and inspiration, science and spirituality, poetry and practicality, ancient traditions and modern medicine, and literal interpretations and symbolic meanings. Deanna, you're very welcome to Alchemy Radio. How are things? Hello. Things are wonderful, and I'm so delighted to be here on Alchemy Radio. In fact, I love the name, Alchemy. I think it resonates with a lot of people, and it is reflective of what we try to do on the show here. We try to create something from um, less than the initial sum of the parts, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's something that we like, and I'm glad you like it as well. Yeah, it really resonates, and I, I think it's very 21st century. It's very cutting edge, and I think alchemy is where we need to go in terms of our health. You know, we have to start looking at these seemingly small things that make significant changes and, and really transform us. I couldn't agree more. And we're going to delve in depth into some of those changes and many different topics. Before we do that, though, there's a question I ask everybody on the show, Diana, And it's how did you get from where you were to where you are now? <laughs> well, the question is, where was I? <laughs> well, that is the question. Um, I don't know, but feel free to go back as far as you want. <laughs> Uh, was eating that I liked very much, things like macaroni and cheese or just 
you know, just a simple meat and potatoes. And, you know, it, it really got into this realm of she was in the kitchen more. She was baking things, preparing things. She started um, tapping into, well, at that time I was growing up in the 1970s. So there weren't a lot of um, health leaders. We had, you know, there were a handful of kind of these outliers, people like Adele Davis and Richard Simmons and who knows who else she was reading about, but essentially our lives transformed as a family. And I, at the time, I did not feel like this was a very good thing. I, I felt like this is, uh, <laughs> this, this makes me like an outcast. It, it kind of scarred me emotionally to have to be so different in terms of food and faith. But as I moved on to my life, what I realized was that that was one of the best introductions to essentially what I was looking for in that experience with my grandmother, which was, how do we heal? So I, I do thank my mom for putting me on the path, uh, even though that hasn't completely been my path going forward. Um, you know, she's had kind of her own journey through it. My, my path has kind of sprung from her introduction of various things like uh, science and spirituality into my life. And one of the very interesting things then to follow on from a very interesting background, Diana is how you have managed to blend a combination of spirituality and medicine and nutrition. It, I mean, people bandy the word holistic about quite a lot, and quite often it's, it's almost used as a marketing term as opposed to actually being holistic. But you seem to have managed to achieve that, A, for yourself, and B, to help other people to do it. So when did you realise that you really needed to do that and when did you manage to do that so you 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 kind of decided right I've managed to find a nice balance between the different facets or the different areas of my life because a lot of people will focus on just one thing and they'll get maybe their nutrition right but it doesn't mean they're happy or they'll get their mental health right and they might be slouched in front of television eating potato chips all day long so (laughs) when did you really kind of nail that one that's a good question John uh, and I would say it was a very organic process that wasn't like an aha, I woke up and that day I felt like, oh gosh, you know, I see it in this larger picture. Mm. It was really, um, I would say, just to my own personal experience and probably everything started when I was 18, when I took my first yoga class and I was also at the university and I took my first world religions class. And so I went to Catholic high school, so I didn't really have that connection to other forms of thinking about spiritual traditions and such, you know, it was pretty, you know, straight Christianity and, and, and a certain um, slant to that. So so essentially, when, once I got out of high school, and I was kind of this nerdy, sciencey, geeky girl, you know, I was interested in science, I was interested in biology, I loved my science classes, I also liked my literature classes, um, I really... Um, there was something there in poetry and in prose and stories, and that was really interesting to me. But at the same time, I was also seeing that poetry in biology class and seeing that there was something really beautiful about how life all comes together in a very web-like fashion, even though we study it in a very dissected way. So I would say that for me, that, that initial transformation of what you're asking about, you know, how did I start to see the world in more of a holistic view, happened... Uh, just right after high school, when I started to explore other realms of thinking and of philosophy and of um, just even taking different literature classes. So in college, I studied biology as my primary focus, my major, and then English literature as my minor. And I started there, I would say, that became the braiding together of these two ribbons of of just things within me that I, I had already had interest in. And then as I started to go further into graduate school and further academic training, and I started to get into clinical practice, I started to develop some health issues of my own. So I I had a lot of emotional type of things, emotional eating type of issues. Um, I had a lot of gut issues. I have um, severe reproductive or uh, I had a condition called endometriosis, which is uh, inflammation of the, the lining of the uterus, and so I had a lot of issues on a monthly basis for me as a woman, uh, and just felt very debilitated, and I felt like I need to seek other things, because going to the doctor, I noticed that everything was very cookbook. It was very, okay, you've got these symptoms, 
well, this is all I can do for you, mm. this drug or this this pill. And I did those things for a while because that's what I knew. And that's, you know, just uh, what was told to me. And I didn't really think to question the system until I became, um, I would say, more indoctrinated with other ways of thinking and thought. And I started, again, exploring yoga and looking into Ayurvedic medicine. I started looking into traditional Chinese medicine. And I started to realize that, well, maybe the body's much more complex than just giving a pill for an ill, because that just seems very simplistic. And I know that we are not simplistic as human beings. We're actually very complex webs. So I, I think it was just through trial and error, quite honestly, um, mm. just through my own experience. And then eventually, as I got into clinical practice in my late 20s, I realized that people that had certain medical conditions to have certain psychological ways of thinking as well. So I'll give you an example of that. So um, for people that had a lot of gastrointestinal issues, what I also noticed is that they tended to be very nervous, anxious people. They might have depression every now and then. Um, the first thing that would happen for them whenever they got stressed is they would have a gastrointestinal issue like bloating or diarrhea or cramping. Uh, and so I started to put together just this is before I even got into functional medicine or knew anything about using supplements or anything like this, just really starting to see that there was this connection within myself as much as there was in other people. And of course, that took me down another track of looking into psychology, which of course I think is interesting. And I, I do think mental health, um, as you were suggesting very early on, you know, it's it's one of those pieces of the pie of who we are. And if if we're neglecting that piece of our pie, then we're going to miss out because our thoughts determine our actions ultimately and eventually will determine who we are as people. And our thoughts around food, you know, there's even, gosh, John, you know, there's so much science uh, in the way of the placebo effect, the nocebo effect. I teach a whole university course called the Fundamentals of Mind-Body Medicine. Mm. You know, this, this is not speculative anymore. This is actually science that um, our thinking precipitates a physiological response. Yeah, I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there. And it's a very empowering thing when that discovery is made and in terms of my own life it's been quite an organic process and it's still in the works and I don't think the learning ever ends but I think when you realise that there is this um, this link between mind and body which a lot of people don't because I think traditional medicine tends to as you say it's almost like the cookbook approach or you go in and you pick from the recipe I mean what are your ills right A, B, C and D and the doctor will prescribe whatever drug happens to be the f most fashionable or to be really cynical about it whatever drug he's getting the most commission from in a lot of yeah. cases so I mean medicine gets a bad name because a lot of people are starting to wake up and to realise what has gone on in the past. However, when you look at a holistic approach, you include modern day medicine as well as, say, Eastern practices and study of the mind and that kind of thing as well. It's not that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. So how do you manage to marry the two or the three or the four or the five or the six or the seven because there are so many different facets to this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there are. And in fact, I have tried to wrap my scientific practical brain around that. Um, and, and so through the years, what I eventually came up with was what I call the food and spirit system. And the food and spirit system, we do a certification program for health professionals on it because many people are asking exactly that same question that you just asked me. How do I do this in practice? How do I integrate the scientific aspects together with all of these traditions and the truths that they hold, which have withstood time and uh, have so much value and so much to offer modern medicine. And how do we bring genomic medicine, epigenetics, functional medicine together and create this marriage? Mm. So what, what I would say for myself, so I, I am a very practical person. I do like to have things structured and organized as much as I like the creative chaos and flow of it all. And so what I did was um, I started to put together certain questionnaires and I started to change my clinical practice a little bit where I used different forms 
and I took a different approach. So initially, when I first started out in clinical practice, everything was just straight nutrition. You know, I was kind of getting the energetic vibe that there were other things going on, but I didn't really go there with people because I just kept it straight to supplements and food and maybe a little bit of physical activity, talk, talk about lifestyle. But then um, eventually I noticed that something that I had learned in yoga from long before started to surface into my consciousness as I was seeing people. And that was that there were these seven different areas of who we are as human beings. And they seemed to be relatively constant for whomever I was starting to see and just noticing in my daily interactions with people, even for myself. So I started to bucket the, these different categories as the body, emotions, thoughts, uh, the movement aspects, uh, speaking our truth, our intuition, and our spirit. And of course, there's a lot of description underneath each of these. So the body refers to not just the physical body, but the sense of being in the physical world and having safety, survival, and trust. Mm. When we talk of emotions, it's not just outright, you know, crying or being angry. It's really about our creative expression, our ability to be playful and to experience pleasure and have a sensual self to who we are. Um, and also, how do we go about partnership with others? How do we create that dynamic flow? So for each of these seven areas, they're, they're much more expansive, but I, I just bucket them very easily. And they're really based on what we see in Vedic medicine. Even yoga um, refers to the, the, the chakras, or some people say chakras. You know, this is a, an ancient Sanskrit word that means spinning wheel. And that we do have in the body these places of heightened activity known as the neuroendocrine system. So we've got these places that essentially are, are pretty centralized all along the, the middle part of the body, going from the root all the way up to the, the head. And um, based on these different neuroendocrine glands, we have different core themes. So in <laughs> I know this is a long-winded uh, answer to your question. But no, but it's, it's, it's good information. It's very interesting. I, I like it. <laughs> so anyway, um, to, to simplify it, what I did was through the certification program that we offer, the Certified Food and Spirit Practitioner Program, we teach clinicians how to take patients through the process of um, a more creative intake form where we can assess these seven areas off the bat. Secondly, there's a questionnaire that people will fill out to um, actually quantify and you can get a qualitative score and assessment with these seven different aspects of who we are. And then there's um, a daily life log and, and depending on what the clinician finds, and the beauty of this system is that, it, I would say it's the beauty and for some clinicians that are trained in the old model, it's what makes them uncomfortable. Mm. And that is that there can be multiple right answers. You know, it's like functional medicine, you know, where there's a web, you can start with the gut or you can start with the immune system or you can start with hormones, but essentially you're all going to head into the same place. You're going to have some therapeutic intervention and some modality that will ripple through the whole of that person's being. And in a similar way, the food and spirit system has that same capability. And sometimes when people come from, because we have medical doctors, we've even had an ER doctor, an emergency room doctor take this certification and... Some of them are saying, well, gosh, you know, this is a really interesting, it's very creative, but yet within a structure that allows them to um, look at personalized plans for every patient based on seven different things. So the seven different aspects, then we look at seven different modalities, nutrition, emotions, thoughts, movement, affirmations, guided imageries, and meditations, and we wrap it all together. So. And... <laughs> It seems to be working really well from the research that I've done into your work. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit because I know there will be people who are listening now and they're thinking, well, do you know what? There's a lot of mumbo jumbo involved. I'm really interested in the nutrition side of it, but I'm not at all religious or spiritual. And I don't really think that that's for me. What would you say to people like that who might maybe discount some of the categories with regard to, I suppose, their potential overall health or well-being? Well, this is a, um, a very secular system. It's not based in a spiritual tradition, per mm. se, and it doesn't advocate any particular religious beliefs. 
So even though I say meditation, uh, you know, Harvard Medical School does research on meditation. It's a very um, secularized practice. It involves no particular belief system other than it's a practice of calming the mind or really becoming more mindful and being connected to your, your thought practices. Um, in some cases, however, what I have run into is that people do have religious belief systems that they want to integrate into the modalities. And from that perspective, if they are proactive and, and they really want to have, instead of meditation, they want to pray, that's something I can work with very easily. And I talk with the practitioners about that as well, that get trained in this, that maybe for your patient, you know, you have to meet them where they're at. And um, this is, again, it's, it's a system that is modular, that can fit everybody from an acupuncturist to an ER doc to, we've even had dental hygienists. Uh, take the program, yoga practitioners. So I think there's something in it for everybody. And even if we have somebody like you said, John, that says, just give me the nutrition. That's all I really want to focus on. That's completely fine. Because the way that we see nutrition within the food and spirit system is also extremely creative and out of the norm. Mm. So for example, we, we would focus on different properties of food. We would look at the macronutrients. We would look at the colors of the food, which tell us something. We would look at combinations of certain foods and what people are gravitating towards. We would look at how they are eating, when they are eating. So even if we had somebody that just said, you know, just give me the food facts. That's all I want to focus on. No problem. And that's, that's what I have done primarily uh, for a chunk of my life. And what I found has happened is once people have that rooted foundation uh, where they feel really good with their food, they're, they're seeing progress, they're seeing that their symptoms are reduced, then they kind of say to you, once they've developed that trust and they can see that you're obviously very competent, then they'll say, well, what's next? You know, I'd like to work on some other things. Can we do some e work on emotions? <laughs> you know, yeah. It just naturally unfolds where all of a sudden it's like, okay, I did that. Let's check that off the list. I, I feel pretty good about it. I'm, I'm probably at like 80%, but I know what I'm doing now. And, and sometimes we just have to start in a very physical nutrition place, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's something I can relate to. As you're speaking there, it's really resonating with me because I think there's a knock-on effect. If you can manage to improve one area of the self, it does have a knock-on effect, even on those areas that you thought weren't for you or that you couldn't relate to at a particular time. And of course, as we journey through life, our perspectives on things change and we become different people and I've certainly noticed that I mean nutrition was a big one for me and I wanted to get that right and as I said earlier it is a learning process but the knock-on effect I found from studying and learning how to get my body in a place that I wanted it to be and to heal myself of ailments and inflammation and that kind of thing I found it had a massive spiritual effect as well and it's almost by accident or it's it's like the the paths converge at some point and it does become holistic whether you realize it or not. It kind of creeped up on me. <laughs> That's a really interesting story about your, your own journey, right? And I, I do think that what you're saying is, is probably the case for many people if they're paying attention because what happens is, um, at least I have noticed that when we eat a certain way and we choose certain nutrients, that how we eat is how we live. And how we live is how we eat. So when we're altering our eating, it's changing, you know, if we just want to talk physiological, mm. it's changing your neurochemistry. You know, the foods that you were selecting on your path, they were different foods. They were changing your brain. They were changing your neurochemistry. They were changing your mood. Your mood was altering your life choices. Your life choices were going to further implicate changes in your eating choices. So it, you can see it's this big interconnecting uh, non-stop web so it doesn't matter which place you start many times you can start from perhaps a more, a more movement oriented aspect like a lot of personal trainers when they go into personal training uh, they start just purely based on the body they just focus on muscle skeletal system uh, mass or you know the heart and making sure the heart and then Eventually, they start to realize, well, you know, nutrition is kind of interesting, and let me start to look into that a little bit more. And then they start to get into performance as it relates to their mental thinking patterns and how that implicates, um, you know, how well they're, they're doing in whatever sport that they're primed for. So, yeah, 
I totally agree. It's like this uh, kaleidoscope. We kind of enter in, things start to move and shift all together. And that's the beauty of nature. Absolutely, it is. And there's a topic that I know... Uh, you've been doing a lot of work on recently and it's one that I'm not overly familiar with and would like to know a lot more about because we do discuss quite a lot about nutrition and holistic experiences on this show but this is something new to me and if you can talk for a little while about phytochemicals because the first time I came across the term was actually on the foodandspirit.com website, your website so can you tell us a little bit about what they are and how they can affect us in a positive or a negative way and how then they can impact in the long term on the, the holistic approach to general well-being and health? Sure, sure. Wow, yeah. Well, even though you've only seen the word for the first time on the, my website, um, you've been interfacing with phytochemicals all your life. Uh, and <laughs> the way that that happens is by eating plant foods, plant-derived foods, so anything from uh, nuts, seeds, whole grains, vegetables, fruits, spices, herbs, all of these things connect to these plant compounds that are teeny tiny, and we don't even see them outright. We don't, many of us don't even know about them, but we're ingesting them and they're having an impact on our health. So when I went to school to study nutrition, uh, what I was primarily taught, which um, I'm sure that this came into your training and what you learned about as well, is we think about what I would call the three musketeers, protein, carbohydrate, and fat. You know, that gives us the bulk of our calories and nutrition equals energy equals calories. And we, we you know, I think sometimes nutrition, um, its detriment is that we get into this tango of macronutrients. It's like, okay, low fat, high fat, high protein, low protein. It's like this constant merry-go-round and it's really not taking us anywhere. I think that the real issue is the context of the food, the quality of those things, and we we forget about the little unsung heroes, the phytonutrients, which are in foods that don't necessarily have caloric value, but they have medicinal value. So let me just give you an example of what I mean when I say phytonutrient or phytochemicals. Mm. I, I, I typically like to say phytonutrient just because it's, you know, uh, phytochemical basically the same thing, just these different compounds and plants. So when I was doing my, my graduate work, I was at the University of Illinois, and we were studying plant compounds called carotenoids. So carotenoids, it's uh, with a C, and it's a huge family of 650 different plant compounds. I mean, the complexity of these things is immense. And even still, even for experts in carotenoid research, many times they only focus on maybe one or at most maybe three to five different carotenoids. We don't even get into the whole breadth of what these things are doing for us. So if we look at, well, what are carotenoids? Um, if you go outside and you look at leaves on a tree, mm -hmm. uh, we have underneath when those leaves turn color in the fall, we see orange, we see yellow, we see red. Uh, even in foods, we see red bell peppers, green bell peppers. Underneath that green bell pepper is really layers of these different colors. It's just that we don't see them outright. We look at a tomato. A tomato, that red color is because of a carotenoid called lycopene. Shrimp and various crustaceans are red pink because of lycopene and astaxanthin, which is another carotenoid. Mm. Uh, carrots. Carrots are orange because of beta carotene and some other carotenes, a whole family of different uh, carotenes, actually. So we're getting these things in, and they're having amazing um, anti-inflammatory and also uh, insulin-modulating effects, antioxidant effects in the body. And these compounds tend to like fat. Not all of them, but many of them like, they're what we call fat-soluble, which means that they need a little bit of fat to be absorbed. So if you're just munching on a carrot and, and you don't have any um, oil or butter or anything on it, chances are you're getting, getting very little of those carotenoids into your body. So typically with some plant foods, and people ask me the question all the time, Deanna, should I be eating plant foods raw or should I have them cooked? And what I say is something in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Something that is like steamed or, you know, when... It's almost like nature tells you because, you know, you steam a carrot and it gets that bright, vivid orange color versus what it started out as or mm. if you let it cook too.
too much, then it becomes very, uh, very light orange, right? You'll lose those carotenoids with too much heat. That's very interesting as well. And the relationship with fat is something that we've examined on this show in the past. Uh, most notably, it was brought to our attention when examining Bulletproof Coffee with Dave Asprey. And I mean, many people reeled back with shock and horror when they heard the amount of fat that he was consuming and the fact that he was putting it in coffee and um, this, that and the other. But it started me on my journey of exploration towards fat because constantly in the mainstream we're told fat is bad and everything sh- everyone should be on a low-fat diet and cholesterol is bad and everything to do with it. There's an industry that has sprung up around fat being bad and the demonization of it. And it's so important and so essential to our health and our well-being. And it's very, very interesting that when you mention phytonutrients and the relationship with fat, That backs up a lot of what I would have felt when I started adding fat to the diet. The first thing I did with fat was just started adding good quality fat to my diet, which I always avoided. I didn't change anything else in terms of what I was eating. I was already eating quite a lot of vegetables and that kind of thing. And I noticed an immediate improvement in everything linked to inflammation in my body. I just thought it was incredible. And it wasn't until I came across your work, Diana, that you actually managed to tie together some of the... It's almost like a, a quantum effect. It's its nothing to do with calories, as you stated earlier. It's nothing that any general nutritionist will ever tell us. But you've managed to uncover this um, through your research, for me anyway, or bring it out into the public for me. And I think it's worth dwelling on that for a little while because fat cannot be underestimated and the importance of it. And not just when we're talking about phytonutrients or phytochemicals, but in general. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, I, I get really emotional about facts because <laughs> I, spent, I spent four years of my life um, during my PhD work, which um, I did in the Netherlands, by the way, so kind of close to, uh, to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we focused uh, on essential fatty acid absorption and metabolism in people that had difficulties with absorption and metabolism. So we don't realize the importance of that. Uh, even in some of the early animal studies, like in the 1940s, when they were experimenting just taking things out of the diet, what they found with rats when they took out all fat is that the rats lost their fur. And I've actually seen these pictures in the scientific articles. The rats lost um, patches of fur. They developed a scaly tail. And they acted kind of strange. You know, they had kind of uh, mood mood changes or just, um, you know, they just weren't, their, their mental capacity had changed in some ways, their behavior, their habits. And um, they didn't have good grooming behavior, which is uh, not a good sign. So, you know, you look at our society and when people say, oh, you know, fat is bad, that just bristles me because, I mean, what kind of fat? That's like saying all human beings are good or all human beings are bad. I mean, the complexity here is immense. So, you know, you have unsaturated versus saturated fat. Then you have fats of different chain lengths. You have fats that come from different types of products. One thing that we have to think about with fat, though, because I do do a lot of work in the whole area of detox. And, in fact, I put on the Detox Summit in August of 2014, and we had about 70,000 people from all over the world chiming in and tuning in. And, and one of the things that people learned from the Detox Summit was that fat is also a carrier of toxins. So we have to be sure that the form of fat that we're choosing in the diet is a good conscious form of fat. And maybe some of the issues with some of those earlier studies that malign fat, it wasn't so much about the fat itself. It was about what came along for the ride with the fat. Mm. You know, I look at a lot of these different animal studies, you know, animal fat studies. And, you know, there, there is some uh, idea that a lot of these animal products, uh, because of the, the fat, it might be contaminated. Because you look at what animals are being given, whether it's bovine growth hormone or antibiotics or just um, subject to exposure of persistent organic pollutants. And so when we take in animal products, we're taking in whatever they were exposed to in their environment. And plants don't have longevity like an animal does, and so they're not going to have that constant repeat exposure and buildup of toxins quite like an animal fat um, would. So, yeah, I think 
there's always a yin and a yang, no matter what it is, whether we're talking about a person, a place, an event, a situation, a health condition. Um, you know, the body responds in a very protective way for the most part. The body tries to adapt. And so there have to be there has to be many different things that we look at when we talk about dietary fat. We need fat. We need certain kinds of fat. Um, we need certain amounts of fat in order to keep our brain working right, to have good, healthy, smooth skin. You know, one of the things that I struggled with growing up, uh, and nobody believes it now, but, you know, one of the things was, like, I had very, I thought I had bad skin. Okay. You know, I was very self-conscious. I um, even though my mom to this day says, oh, you never had bad skin. You know, to a teenager, one pimple is like bad skin. But, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I just had bad skin. I was always, like, very sensitive to foods and, you know, different things to bring it out. And um, one of the things that we know about the skin is that it requires certain essential fats to really, um, you know, just, just have good quality skin because fat is built into every cell of our body. And even the brain, I think about all of the young children out there who are on these high sugar, refined carbohydrate diets, and they're not getting good, high quality fats in their everyday eating. And the repercussions of that can be huge because our brain is like 60 to 70% fat. So if we have bad fats coming into our body, a lot of inflammatory fats, a lot of toxic fats, then we're going to have an issue with how we are thinking and how we're processing uh, memories and just even thought processing and moods. So there's, there's a huge discussion here as it relates to fat. But the key takeaway for everybody is really, um, you know, I all of this talk about nutrition, it's so funny because, you know, I went through all of this school and you read all of these papers, you do all of this research, you do all of this clinical work. And you want to get it down to a science. Like, you know, people ask me, you know, how many grams of fat? What we have shown, um, when I was working in this clinic, I was working in a functional medicine-based clinic for a decade. And uh, when we did a clinical study there, basically we didn't tell people to consume any particular amount of fat. Mm. We just told them, eat these foods. Eat these whole foods. And if it's, if it's a processed food, don't eat it. And what ended up happening was people lost weight uh, people didn't eat so much. Uh, so I don't think sometimes that we have to have all these numbers and we get into this analysis paralysis where it's it's outrageous. We, we become so strapped in by numbers and, and it really takes away because it's not about the absolute quantity always. It's really about the quality. And when we're eating that quality, it's almost like the body just naturally takes care of itself. Yeah, I think there is a kind of a natural order that takes over that can't necessarily be quantified. And again, the the link between or lack of a link between um, phytonutrients and calories is an example of that. I mean, there's stuff going on that we don't necessarily know about yet. And I think it's the great arrogance of science and medicine and humans in general to a large degree down through the ages that we always think that at any point in time, we know everything about everything. Well, it's true, and we see that in nutrition, we've come back wrong time and time again. It's almost embarrassing to uh, to to show the differences that have happened even within a short period of time. You know, like within 20 years, we see lots of different changes. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think we just stay humble. We stay open and curious. Uh, we don't take in everything and, and accept it. You know, even though I – here's an example of that. You know, even though I'm very much into detoxification practices, you have to be very scrutinizing with what you you decide to take on because there's so much out there for detoxing. So you look at these foot pads or, you know, different um, water baths um, for the feet. And a lot of this stuff is, is just, um, it, it doesn't work like they're, like it's being claimed to work. And so there can be a lot of um, deception out there because of the internet. You know, so many people are reading different websites saying different things. Yeah. And quite honestly, it's hard to know where you go. Where do you go for the truth and for um, non-commercial opinions about things? I think it's difficult for, for most people. 
I think absolutely. It's very, very difficult to disseminate information and it becomes becomes almost a full-time job in itself when you're dealing with yeah. the internet, as most of us are, because quite literally there is everything and anything. I mean, it's great. We have access to a huge amount of information and almost infinite amount of information that we never had before, but that doesn't mean it's all good. And you mentioned good fats and bad fats and good people and bad people. There's good information and bad information as well. Agreed. Absolutely. So, you know, some of my tips in terms of helping people to know where to go, um, I, I do think that functional medicine, the Institute for Functional Medicine, is a great place to uh, to start. It's a, um, you know, it's an educational institute if, if you're just interested in finding a practitioner. You know, interview practitioners like you would somebody to do work on your house. You know, I always find it very interesting that um, typically people, when they have to get some housework done, uh, they might have three roofers come and give quotes and mm-hmm. then they'll decide from there. But when it comes to a practitioner or, you know, they just go to their one doctor and it's the same doctor that they've been going to for all these years um, and they're not questioning anything. They're not dialoguing. You know, medicine, really doctors, if you look at the, uh, the root of the word doctor, docere, is to teach. So there mm-hmm. has to be this, this um, and I, I think that we have to teach our practitioners too about things that we're learning. Uh, many of my functional medicine colleagues, what I've noticed them saying is that the reason that they got into functional medicine is because they started having people come to them who were asking them all these questions about herbs and supplements and, you know, uh, leaky gut. What does that mean? And so they were like, wow, I better get up to snuff on these topics because <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. And so yeah, I think we have to, what's happening is at the grassroots level, um, people are becoming empowered and they're starting to get more information. They may not know exactly which information is is uh, the, the truth or, you know, but there's something there and they realize as they start looking for solutions that they've got to do something else. They can't just take a pill or go through surgery for something. They want to do other things and, and I'm really glad that people are open uh, in their minds and in their hearts to to start exploring because it's going to create a ripple effect throughout medicine. It truly is. I think it has to. I think there there will be a point of no return or the tipping point will be reached at some point because people are far more aware than they were um, because they've access to the information and most people are pretty good eventually at figuring out what works for them and what doesn't. But there is also, certainly in the West, there's a laziness that creeps in and it's consumer society and capitalism that almost forces it or foists it upon us um, with the amount of advertising we're subjected to and the agendas of big business. And that's nowhere more obvious than with medicine and food, Deanna, I think. And yeah. so what would you say to people who are, maybe they're just so used to that bag of potato chips that I mentioned earlier in front of the couch every evening or the bar of chocolate or whatever. I mean... Is there a balance or is there an easing in process that people can take with your approach or does it have to be right? Cut out the bad, start with the good, even though you mightn't like the taste of Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cauliflower. Um, Or is there a way that people can find their own kind of route into what it is they might want to do with regard to self-healing and general well-being and health? That's a beautiful question. Uh, I'm going to give a story to answer that in the best way that I can. So um, when I was working in this uh, functional medicine clinic, I worked with a physician, and uh, he and I would see patients just kind of in tandem. So I was the, the nutritionist, and, and he was a physician, and I remember we were working with this one patient, and um, what we gave this patient as a prescription, if you will, um, it was just to do four jumping jacks a day. Right. You know, just, just four, four jumping jacks, and the guy's like, okay, but... You know, we had him on some supplements, too, and, and things like that. So after about three weeks, he comes back in the office, and we ask him, did you do your four jumping jacks a day? Uh, and, he's, and he just kind of waved his hand, and he, taught, he gets like a, said, oh, of course, I did 50 jumping jacks a day. Four was a ridiculous number, and I just knew I could do more. And what was really neat was that he had improved so much within the three weeks. Yes, he was on some supplements. Um, this movement gave him more energy. You know, the fact that he felt like he could do something like this. I, I think sometimes when we set the bar too high, it makes us feel overwhelmed. And then it's like, oh, gosh, you know, I have to do it right. I've got to do it perfect or I can't do it at all. Mm. It's kind of that all or nothing mentality. But really and truly, 
uh, we can do little, little things. And even there's another clinician friend of mine, Dr. Scott Rigdon, who's in Arizona in the States. And he talks about how he had a, a patient who was obese. And, um, you know, she was in, in U.S. pounds, she was uh, 257 pounds. And she was only, she was a very short woman. She was five foot four. So she was definitely obese. And she had to have knee surgery because, uh, well, at least she thought she did because she couldn't walk right. But in order for her to get knee surgery, she needed to lose weight. So she was wondering how she was going to do this. So she went to go see Dr. Rigdon. And Dr. Rigdon says, I know you can't move very much. I know that, you know, your knees hurt, you're overweight, but I want you to walk around your house for four minutes a day. And I also want you to take this medical food and you know, just a couple of other supplements and, you know, just work on your diet as best you can, but, you know, just do your best. So she comes back after about a month, she loses weight. She loses like seven pounds and she is walking. She's doing this four minute walking. So I'll just kind of shortcut to the end, but after 21 months, she goes from 256 pounds down to 142 pounds. Wow. And now, yeah. And now she's not even doing four minutes of walking a day. She's doing, um, I don't know if you use a lot of these pedometers in Ireland, but... Um, yeah, they've and, become quite popular, yeah. Yeah, so she was doing 10,000 steps on a pedometer every day. She's got even more high tech. She bought herself a pedometer, and she was doing 10,000 steps um, in a day. And she said that she felt younger than she had ever felt. She felt vital. She could keep up with her grandkids. She went to Disneyland. So to me, that just shows that, you know, something about that number four in both of these cases, you know, I don't know if it has to be the number four, but something really small that we feel like we can do and that we can do really well. And we just have to start there. It's like the first step on a path. Yeah, that's really interesting because I know just from my own personal experience, when a goal is, is set too high it just becomes intimidating and it's almost like there, personally I'll look for an excuse to not reach that goal because I'm afraid of the journey to it whereas if something is set is much more attainable and when I do attain the micro goals if you want to call them that well there's a huge encouragement and that has an effect then on my mind and my attitude towards whatever I might be finding difficult so if my goal is say 4,000 steps in a day which it isn't but if it was um, I'd, I'd start with four and then when I reach four I'm delighted with that so I go to eight and I, I think there's a lot of common sense involved with that I think I, I could imagine my grandmother maybe giving me that kind of advice and saying look just, just take it easy step by step to use the old cliche <laughs> but it really does work yeah it really does and you know if we don't start that journey someplace you know every journey starts with a step so if we don't take that first plunge uh, and move that foot forward, then, you know, we're still in that place of stagnation. It's something that I think about all the time and discuss with friends. Everybody wants to feel good. And when you start to feel good, you're more likely to make more and yeah. more changes that will continue that path for you. I mean, people might give out about giving up chocolate or giving up this, that and the other, but it's not all about giving up. It's about balance and it's about... In my case, it was certainly about adding certain things to my diet that were lacking. And that was the big step for me. And once I added those, I suddenly discovered that the things that I would have feared giving up, I didn't want anymore. My body kind of rejected them automatically. I didn't have the same desire for that bar of chocolate or the packet of chips or crisps or whatever. And it comes back to the point that you made a little bit earlier on, that there is a kind of a natural order. The body seems to know what to do. There's something on a quantum level that's operating beyond our understanding. And we need to trust our bodies as opposed to what the media tells us we should always be doing or what products we need for A, B, C and D. I think there is a bigger plan at play. Something organic is happening. Yeah, I totally agree, John. Absolutely. You know, and, and one other thing, too, I mean, it's, it's so funny because my dad, who is not like my mom, he's not into health, he's not into healthy eating, <laughs> uh, he would agree with you in terms of, um, you know, you make one little change, you start feeling better, and it's like, oh, wow, I'm going to do more of this, you know, give an inch, take a mile kind of a thing where it gives you a lot of return. So I remember uh, just even a couple of weeks ago, he and I were talking about um, a relative of mine who has a lot of health conditions. 
And um, my dad, it was so cute because I never thought I would hear my dad say something like this. But he says, Dee, even if he has one green smoothie a day, he's going to start feeling better. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's so true, Dad. I said, you said something so simple, but yet profound. It's like starting your day even with a green smoothie when you're normally used to eating a lot of processed foods can really make an impact. You know, it can really change your life. So, you know, I, I totally agree, you know, get the energy from, um, from these small changes. And one of my favorite things to do for people, if you're wondering, well, gosh, what could be another little small change? Mm. What I would say, and this is what I focus on, and it drives at the phytonutrients that we were talking about, is to, um, first of all, you know, I think it is good to write down some of the foods that you have. So if you just keep kind of a general journal, you just buy a notebook from the, the, the store, and you just start writing down the foods that you have. And don't have any judgment. Just write them down. If it was a piece of chocolate or you had coffee or chewing gum or, you know, whatever it is, just write them down. And then at the end of the day, you need a, um, a box of crayons or you need a box of markers. And what you do is you go through and, again, no judgment. You just take the color and match it to the food and draw a line through it. So if you had coffee, you draw a brown line through it. If you had a tomato uh, in your salad, and in your salad you had maybe tomatoes and carrots and cucumbers, um, and it was a spinach salad, you put a um, green line through the spinach, you put a red line through tomatoes, you put an orange line through carrot, and when you're done with this artistic exercise, which is oh so simple, and even children can do this, Mm -hmm. what you do is you step back and you look at this like a painting, and you say, what colors did I get? You know, because if we're not getting the seven colors, we're not getting things like red and orange and yellow and green and blue, purple and tan and white. Um, this becomes a problem for us uh, just in terms of our physiology because we, we don't get the variety of different things coming into us, changing our health. So that's just a really easy, peasy thing to do. And by the way, it's not um, it's not intended that you do this with artificially colored items you know <laughs> what we're looking for here is it has to be a whole food item but you know um so candies colored candies would not fall into that category but you could have other things on there and it might be worthwhile just to see because when i do this exercise with people what i see is a lot of brown yellow and white brown yellow and white i see waffles pancakes bacon um chips i see pasta i see bread you know, it's all homogenous. And maybe like you said, John, we bring things in rather than thinking about taking things out. We start to balance out the colors. Yeah. So we bring in some green lettuce into that sandwich or whatever it is. You know, maybe just initially, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just so we get some green. So I do think paying attention to colors, everything that um, it, it's what kids can do, adults can do. And uh, elders can do it, too. I mean, it, it doesn't require any nutrition degree, but it tells us a lot about the variety and our exposure to different plant-based foods. Fantastic advice indeed. And before we start to tie things up, Diana, I just want to very briefly touch on yoga. Uh, because it's something you're extremely, as a practitioner, extremely familiar with. And you've seen the benefits of yoga both in your own life and in the lives of many others. For the uninitiated, how beneficial is yoga? It's, it's life-changing, I think. You know, um, I, I absolutely, positively love and resonate with yoga, but it's not going to be something for everybody. You know, um, for my husband, as an example, he likes Aikido. He likes Tai Chi. Mm. He likes Qigong. You know, it, I, I think that that's perfect because it doesn't matter what modality. What matters is your passion and resonance and and what you're experiencing by way of doing that modality. So if you resonate with Tai Chi and not with yoga, perfect. For me, I really resonate with yoga. And even when I'm in a yoga class, sometimes I'm like, is this really doing me, um, you know, the, the good and, you know, why I'm here? I come out of the class and I don't know what happens to me. And I tell my husband this repeatedly. I said, there's something that happens with me in yoga. I mean, my body feels differently. I'm walking away and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling my body in different ways. Um, my mind is different after yoga practice. Um, truly, I mean, and I love, uh, you know, when I'm doing yoga for some time, eventually I start pushing myself a little bit more in the classes and I might do a little bit of a deeper spinal twist and, 
you know, you really start to pay attention to what is happening. And even yesterday I was in yoga class and I came home and I told my husband that, yeah, I, I said, you know, my weakness is my legs. I'm really good with arms and spine and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to moving my hips and my legs, I have some limitations and I'm aware of what those are. But yesterday I even had a breakthrough um, doing one of the leg stretches where I felt like I went further than I normally go. Right. So it's like this relationship that we have with our body where it's like, oh my gosh, my muscles, we're, we're talking, we're communicating, we're changing, we're shifting, where it's so dynamic. So find what you love. If it's swimming, roller skating, running, you know, just find what you love and notice how you feel after you do it. Superb information indeed. And Deanna, tell us about your website and the books and any speaking engagements you might have coming up because I believe you've one or two exciting things in the pipeline that people might be interested in. Well, first of all, I think I'm coming to Ireland. Isn't that exciting? That's very <laughs> exciting indeed. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, um, we have a, um, a European tour planned for April and May. And so I will be in Stockholm and I will be in Ireland and England. And so... Um, the details of that can be found on my website uh, when we have all of the details. My website, I actually have two websites. My primary website is foodandspirit.com. Foodandspirit.com. We have an events tab. You can go and look at it. We have a free gifts tab. Um, in the free gifts, you can download a bunch of recipes and infographics and webinars that I've done. You know, there's a bunch of stuff on there. We get a lot of people visiting that free gifts page. So help yourself to whatever you'd like. Uh, and then if you're a practitioner and you're kind of curious about this food and spirit system, uh, you might want to check out foodandspiritprofessional.com. So this is the professional site where it talks about the training and what happens during the training, what you get, and how long it is. It's all online. It can be done anywhere in the world. And we recently changed its format to make it on demand. So you can do it at any time. Start at any time, finish at any time, and become certified. So, uh, and I have four books. Um, I'm working on another book right now. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and I, I hope to see you when I'm over in Ireland. I've, I've actually... Um, well, I think you'll find quite a number of Kellys, not just in Limerick, but all over the country. <laughs> it's an extremely common Irish name. It is. And we've been in touch with our Irish relatives from years past, so I just have to look them up again. And um, uh, and it's actually the O'Kellys, but I know that there are a lot of O'Kellys there too. So, uh, but, but I'll find them. I'll find them. And I hope to see you there too. Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to, to to meeting for the first time and to hearing your uh, speaking engagements also. It's it's an exciting time. So thank you very much for joining me on the show. The information that you've given has, it's just tied so much up in my head personally, and I hope the listeners will find the same thing. Any of the mind-body shows that we do tend to get a particular amount of interest on Alchemy Radio. So I think uh, there will be a lot for a lot of people to take from it. And hopefully you'll be able to monitor your website and see what kind of hits that you get as a result of this show. But it's been fantastic speaking to you, Deanna. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Deanna Minnick, thank you for joining me on Alchemy Radio today. Oh, thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio.
this week's episode of Alchemy Radio. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format, and we're extremely grateful for any help you can offer. Indeed, there's a direct correlation between the number of shows that we are able to put together and the level of donation. Uh, We've no fixed cost on those donations and every little helps. So, for example, if you could spare even the price of a cup of coffee every month, it would go a long way towards keeping us afloat. Our donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. So thank you to everybody for your recent help and support. We really couldn't do it without you. So until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Analyze. Are you tuned in? Are you tuned in?